God's holiness receives little attention today from either the pulpit or the pew. Instead, professing believers crave a God who is accepting and tolerable, a God who will build up their self-esteem. Regardless of how people want to view God, the stark reality is that He is a holy God. This lack of attention on God's holiness has resulted in the moral malaise tearing apart this nation. The news is filled with sleaze and scandal. We've descended into moral relativity. The only answer to recovering from this moral malaise is a spiritual awakening, a biblical revival of God's holiness in the pulpit and in the pew. And as such, we come to Psalm 99 to discover the holiness of God. In verses 1 through 3, we will see that God is holy in His reign. In verses 4 and 5, we will see that God is holy in His justice. And then in verses 6 through 9, we'll see that God is holy in His forgiveness. So let's begin with verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. And he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Verse 1 begins with a triumphant proclamation. The Lord reigns. And we're going to see that God is holy in this reign. God is sovereign over all. He is the great and mighty king. And because of his majesty, the exhortation follows, Let the people tremble. When Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, he cries out, Woe is me, Isaiah 6.5. The psalmist tells us that God is enthroned above the cherubim. Cherubim being angelic beings. They first appear in the Old Testament when God sends them to guard Eden after the fall, Genesis 3.24. Later, when the Ark of the Covenant is constructed during the Exodus, two cherubim are placed over the mercy seat, covering it with their wings, Exodus 25.19-20. They guard the portable throne of God where He is seated, 1 Samuel 4.4. And the awesomeness of God, of, of God, who has these beings in his court, leads to the next exhortation, let the earth be moved. Literally, we need to be a quaking people, and, a, and the earth will quake. That's how it rightly responds to the reign of God. So our response is to quake, is to tremble, is to have a degree of fear when we understand that it is God who is sovereign, that it is God who is in control. There's no room for us to be flippant. There's no room for us to think that, well, I'll do it my way. Listen, you can try it your way, and at the end of the day, the Lord who reigns, the holy God, is going to have His way. You see, this sense of majesty, which leads to trembling or reverence or fear, prepares us for the next response. With a proper humility and a fear before the holy Lord who is reigning, we are to know that the Lord is great in Zion. That's God's mountain in Jerusalem. And His greatness means that He's exalted above all the peoples. Now this signifies that He reigns over all the inhabited earth. And because He is Lord over all, He is to be worshipped by all. And so the psalmist now asks, Let them praise your great and awesome or terrible name. Notice this is a prayer. Only God can bring the peoples of the world to worship Him. And today He is doing that through the gospel. And as you and I share the gospel, we are partaking in this 
prayer. We are the answer to this prayer as we share the gospel. The psalmist prayed, Lord, bring the people, bring the nations to worship you. Bring them to see your holiness seated upon your throne. And today he's accomplishing that through the gospel. And today you and I are, are, like I said, the answer to that prayer as we take the gospel and declare it. Now the reign of God, the majesty of God among the cherubim, the greatness of God, his awesome name, are sealed by the final phrase in verse 3. He is holy. The word holy means separate or distinct. There's no other being like God. He stands alone. And as creatures, as sinners, we're separated from God. God's holiness means that He is morally pure. And when we see God's glory, when we get a glimpse of that holiness, we know that we have fallen short. And we stand under His judgment, as Romans 3.23 declares. And thus the Lord reigns. He reigns in holiness. My friends, that is a sure foundation upon which we can build our lives. That the God who reigns is a holy God. That means He is morally pure. That means that no matter what He does, it will always be just. It will always be righteous. You see, we live in a world filled with evil. We live in a world filled with evil rulers. Yet God is not evil. He reigns in holiness. And therefore, whatever He says, whatever He does, we know that it is good it is righteous. It is pure. Look at verses 4 and 5, talking about His righteousness or His justice. Let's see that God is holy in His justice. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Now the thesis for this section here, verses 4 and 5, appears poetically. The strength of the king loves justice. We could paraphrase it this way. The power of God is always related to justice. This means, of course, that God is never arbitrary. He always acts in relation to his moral character. You see, there's no shadow of turning. God doesn't vacillate. What God decides to do, he does. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't get halfway there and say, Oh, no, I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Because he's holy. Now from this thesis, the psalmist offers a commentary using direct address to the Lord. You have established equity. See, God is fair. And he continues, You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. The name Jacob signifies Israel as a religious people delivered from Egypt in the Exodus. With justice and righteousness, God is just and true to his covenant law. Now as we meditate on God's justice, notice in verse 5 that it leads to another call to worship. So as we reflect on him as sovereign or as the, one, the king who reigns, it takes us back to his holiness, causes us to worship. Now as we reflect on his justice, it again... His justice is bound by His holiness, and it causes us to worship. Exalt the Lord our God. Now, when we exalt Him, we have to humiliate ourselves or humble ourselves. The psalmist continues and worship or bow down at His footstool. Now, a footstool is a place where you rest your feet, and we're to bow ourselves down to His foot. That means that our faces are at His feet. 
You see, right now, the risen, reigning Christ is seated in heaven with God having put all things under his feet, Ephesians 1.22. And this meditation on God's justice concludes with the same affirmation given concerning his reign. He is holy. And because he's holy, his justice and righteousness are absolute. It separates him from us, but it also gives him authority over us. See, we're not always just. That's why we're commanded to love justice, to do justice. You see, we live in a day and an age in which there's a lack of justice. And if anything, the church and Christians should be leading the charge for justice. Preeminently biblical justice. Justice as determined and established and revealed by God. He's holy. His holiness manifests His moral perfection. And knowing this, God then is going to deliver us from the moral chaos. It's going to reestablish His divine order in our relationships in this world. So when we understand that God is just, and He's just because of His holiness, it's going to impact us in how we act and behave. If we know that this is what God expects and demands, and because He's just and righteous, He's always good, then we know that if we do what He says, it's going to be good for us. When we behave as He wants us to behave, as He is just, we too are going to be just. We're going to seek justice. And as we become people of justice, as we become people who seek justice, it's going to impact how we relate to people in this world. Finally, verses 6 through 9. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Why? For holy is the Lord our God. Now, how are we to approach this holy and just God? Well, this is where we're going to see that God is holy in his forgiveness. You see, you say, well, I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't approach a sinless God. Wait a minute. Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. Here we have three men who did exactly that, approached a holy and just God. The key thought of verses 6 and 7 is that they called upon the Lord and he answered them. Now consider Moses and Aaron for a moment. Both are identified here as priests. And while Aaron was the first high priest of Israel, Exodus 28 and 29, Moses carried out certain priestly functions. It was Moses who sealed the covenant between God and Israel in blood, Exodus 24, 6. Moses anointed the tabernacle and the first set of priests, Exodus 40, verse 9. He continually interceded for Israel. Samuel, as the last of the judges, was known as a prophet in Israel, 1 Samuel 3.20. And the common experience of their lives, as we can see in the text of Scripture, is that these three men experienced answers to prayer. Were they sinless? Far from it. All three had major foibles, and faults in life. And yet God spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. As their response to God, these men kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. That word kept means to preserve or protect. In other words, they upheld his law. 
Thus the holy God had holy men through whom he led his people. And God expects nothing less than this for us today. As Peter writes in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 13 to 16, Be sober, be obedient children, don't conform yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now returning to addressing God directly, the psalmist reminds him again that he answered them. And this goes back to Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. Moreover, though, it says, You were a forgiving God to them, to Moses, to Aaron, to Samuel. Their sins were forgiven through what? Intercession, through repentance. And while God forgives, he's also an avenger of their evil deeds. That wilderness generation, including Moses, failed to enter the promised land because God's law is conditional. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. And again, remember, let's, let's remember that be holy as I am holy was first established in Leviticus chapter 18. That the law was the means by which we could know what God wanted from us. Now, the law cannot save, okay? The law can point to our sin. And for those who are saved, the law points us back to God because God is holy. How am I to be holy as He is holy? Well... Here's what he's revealed about himself. Here's his moral standard. So if you want to be holy, he says, obey my law. If you obey my law, I'll bless you. If you disobey my law, I'll discipline you. The psalmist's meditation on God's forgiveness and judgment leads to a final call to worship. Verse 9 closely parallels verse 5. Exalt, lift up the Lord our God. However, rather than worshiping at his footstools, notice, now we worship at his holy hill. And why are we to worship? Well, the answer is seen back in verse 3. The Lord our God is holy. We saw it in verse 5, and now we see it again at the end. He is the God who is wholly different, wholly distinct, wholly other. He reigns. He judges. He answers. He forgives his people. I challenge you to dig into the scriptures and learn about the holiness of God. And I will, I will tell you that as you learn about God's holiness, as you discover in the scripture what it means that God is morally pure, what it means that God is set apart and distinct, it's going to have a major impact on your life. You say, well, where do I begin? Begin right here with Psalm 99. Think about the reign of God. Go through the scriptures. Get out of concordance and, and, and discover verses about the reign of God. And everything you learn about God's reign, understand it stems that from his holiness. Okay? So he reigns in righteousness. Why? Because he's holy. Because he's set apart from sin. All right? He reigns in peace. Why? Because he's holy. Uh, go on down to the next one. He's holy in his justice. Go through the scriptures. Get, uh, mark down all the times you see the justice of God, whether it's in delivering his people, whether it's in disciplining his people, whether it's in redeeming his people, however you see the justice of God. And then look back to say, okay, why was he just? Why did he discipline his people? Because he's holy. Why did he deliver his people? Because he's holy. And so we can go through all of those things. And then finally, think about forgiveness. Think about how much you have been forgiven. And here's a God who's holy and set apart from sin, yet in His holiness, in His set-apartness, in His moral purity, He offers to us forgiveness from sin. We have a great God. 
And I challenge you, I pray for you, that as you discover the holiness of God, it may awaken you spiritually, it may revive you biblically, it might uh, raise you up out of the moral malaise that has just gotten to everybody and shake you loose and get you back where you need to be, not descending into moral relativity, but rising up into moral absolutism, standing firm on the principles and precepts as uh, the truth as revealing God's Word. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for this text. I thank you that you are a holy God. And because we know you're holy, because we know you're, per- you're perfect, you're set apart, uh, you're distinct, that, Lord, we know that your reign is unique. You reign above everything and all others. There is nobody else beside you. Lord, we thank you for your holiness because it means you are a just God. It means that all of your dealings with us are always right. And Father, we thank you for your holiness because, and this amazes me, that it means that you can offer us forgiveness. And so, Father, I ask and pray that as we delve into your holiness, that, Lord, you might revive us again, that you might rouse us from spiritual apathy, from moral malaise, and that, Father, you would set our feet upon the truth of your word. And in doing so, Father, we would stand in holiness and be holy as you are holy. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.